ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 10, season 3. So you thought you might like to go to the show. Continuing with the theme of results. And if we're honest, there's pressure behind that, isn't there? There's there's weight behind that word results, you know? What does it look like? I remember feeling like, you know, is there a safe... Is there really, really, is there a safe place to talk about this stuff, right? To talk about what goes on behind my wall... That's more of the topic today, but uh, some of this music here really reminds me of the what felt like thin ice, you know? Like if I let people behind the counter, if I let people behind my wall, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm on thin ice, you know? My vulnerability is like that, that thin ice that I'm walking around on, and if I break, will somebody catch me? Does God love me? Is his people right? Can I trust him? What, what does it look like to, to bust through the thin ice? What does it look like to, to come out of your shell and then let people behind your wall? Some more of the, the topic of today's show. Because for me, when I, when I failed time and time again, when I did not have a good track record whatsoever, if this Jesus thing is real, if God sets the captives free, right, then there should be people who understand, who are honest. Isn't that true? This album reminds me of, of, of some of that. Don't be surprised when a crack in the ice appears under your feet. You slip out of your depth and out of your mind with your fear flowing out behind you as you close. read your name in text, so pronouncing it is something entirely different. Uh, <laughs> how you doing, my friend? Man, I'm doing better than I deserve. In in uh, Over there in Georgia. You're at lunch break in yeah. Georgia. I'm just getting up drinking coffee. I know. It's crazy. Three-hour time difference. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today, man. I, uh, I am humbled and honored to have you on the show. Um, you've done a lot in the area of... Uh, sexual addiction recovery and uh, this is not just a you know this is not just a hobby for you is it I mean you're you've been doing this for a while and uh, man again I'm I'm so glad to have a cat like you who who struggled with this 
and because you've struggled with it, because you've seen some results in your life, you're you're kind of putting a hand up to help other folks, right, John? Yeah, that's that's pretty much right. Um, and uh, you know, it's still something that I do on the side very much. Uh, it's not what what pays my bills, but uh, yeah, I love it. I love being involved with recovery and, and recovery ministry. Yeah, me too. It's uh, we ain't making millions of dollars off this kind of thing, are we? No. Not at all. <laughs> not a, I'm making treasure a, in heaven, though, so that's all good. That's right. It's a different economy, isn't it? It is. So, uh, John, your your story, man. You uh, you you write code for a living, right? That's kind of what you're doing. You're on your lunch break and stuff, right? Yeah, I'm a software developer, so I'm a professional nerd. Right, <laughs> right. Black belt nerd. Uh, I'm more of a layman nerd. I'm kind of a backyard mechanic nerd, so to speak. <laughs> um, I wanted to get into your story a little bit. You have a pretty fascinating story. Like you, uh, you didn't grow up in the kind of Christiany home, and uh, you, you did you, John? You're not. You didn't grow up with a silver spoon, you know, Bible stories at, at bedtime kind of a <laughs> upbringing, did you? No, no, not at all. I I did not grow up in in a Christian home. Uh, even though I grew up in the Bible Belt here in Georgia, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to church a few times when I was a kid. And my next door neighbor was a pastor. I went to his church a few times. And I mean, they always have the just as I am, you know, Billy Graham style altar calls. And I probably answered one of those several times. I mean, they when you're a kid down here, they like usher you to the front practically. Um, right. If you, if you go to a church, but uh, you know, um, I really didn't understand any of that um, when I was growing up, and it certainly wasn't displayed or emphasized at all at home. So yeah, I did not grow up uh, in a Christian in a Christian environment. So when uh, when did you start to I, I guess you know have this collision with your heart? You know, I mean, when did that happen? I mean, when did you really get lit up for God? I mean, what? where was the, the kind of tipping point for you as far as, you know, because a lot of people listening are, you know, they're kind of checking this thing out and they're not sure about this whole God thing and that maybe they've seen this before, you know, this kind of religion thing. And, and yeah, I've tried Christianity. Um, there was kind of a, a, a pretty big thing that went on in your life, right, that kind of brought you to more of the more of a real heart-level thing more than this, this altar call thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it really was the whole journey from the time I was a kid through a rebellious teenager using drugs and and sex and all that stuff as a teenager until I got into my early 20s. And um, I was really, I was never an atheist. I, I, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Right. Um, so the, um, you know, really in my early 20s, just kind of felt something was missing, you know. Uh, I had, even in my teenage years, been involved in in the occult for a while and kind of pulled back from that and was just kind of new agey for a while and was always kind of on this spiritual search or spiritual journey of sorts. And um, come 1996, around Christmas time, my dad and my sister had been attending church for a, a little while, which was new to me um, and, you know, kind of new to them, too. So, I mean, my dad, he's, he's, he's a knucklehead. You know, he, that's, that's my, my loving term for, for him. I mean, he, he's, you know, I love my dad, but he's a knucklehead. So, right. 1996 rolled around, and he, he was in church. Um, and so I, I went to the uh, to the bookstore and went to the Christian book section, and I found the biggest book on the shelf, which was the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, but yeah, it's, I it's got one huge, on my shelf, man. Yeah, it's a huge book. And I'm like, that's what, I got him that for Christmas. I'm like, because this whole church thing has got to be great for him, because, like I said, he's a knucklehead. Um, and, you know, I don't know why, but I bought, myself like a five dollar paperback copy of the bible and started reading it myself because i'd never really spent any time in it now as i mentioned i you know i spent a little bit of time like half a minute in church so i knew like i knew there was like an old testament and a new testament the new testament had jesus and 
and all of that. So I knew that I didn't want to start reading in the Old Testament and get all bogged down. I mean, you know, I'd seen flannel graph and stuff like that the few days that I was in, you know, school as a little kid. But, you know, so I started reading the New Testament. I read Matthew, I read Mark, and I started reading Luke. And then Sunday rolled around, the Sunday before Christmas in 1996, and I went to church with my dad and my sister. And, I mean, it was this, like, crazy, charismatic church, and they always sat on the front row. And I didn't, I don't know what the pastor preached, and he didn't give an altar call, um, because they don't give altar calls in charismatic churches. The altar's just kind of open, you know, at the end of the service. Everybody just kind of flocks to it, it seems. But, um, but I mean, they were on the front row, so I only had a couple of steps to take, and I was, like, up at the front of this church crying my face off, not really even knowing what was going on. You know, it's just like God was doing something. He was up to something, you know. He had really gotten a hold of my heart. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of a funny story because I went home that day from church and I did the same thing I did for the last decade before that. I went home and got high, uh, you know, straight, straight after church. A friend of mine had given me a bag of pot for Christmas the night before, you know, ho, ho, ho. Um, right. And so I, I went home and packed a bowl and got high. So, uh, you know, that, that was, but, but, you know, the thing that's weird about it, suddenly it wasn't the same. Something was different that time. Uh, like I, I could feel my, like my thoughts were going into places that I like, didn't like, and I didn't want them to be, it just didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. And I mean, I was, I was a pothead, man. That was, that was my life for, you know, a decade. So this was brand new territory for me. You know, no old guy in the church had to come and say, now, John, you need to quit smoking that pie. You know, it was just like, it just happened, you know? So I, I didn't even have the heart to flush the bag down the toilet. I, maybe, maybe it's because it was a gift or something, but, uh, I didn't have the heart to even like dispose of, of the dope. I let my friends smoke it up for me, uh, which they were glad to do. Right. They were more than, more than happy to do for me. I mean, you just come over, and they smoked it up for me, and, you know, you're passing the joint or whatever, and I'm like, no, I'm good, I'm good, and they just keep passing around in a circle like it goes. Uh, there are people listening that know exactly what I'm talking about, so maybe this story's for you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, what I learned was once, I, once my dope was gone, my friends were gone too. So I learned a lesson out of even that, you know, um, that God uses all kinds of things to teach us lessons. You know, and so uh, God got a hold of my life. And as I mentioned, that was in 1996, and uh, I haven't looked back. So, um, yeah, that, that's, you're taking an interesting path to the story. So there you go. That's, that's awesome, dude. What, what about your – I have stories about my chemical romances as well, <laughs> I could tell you. But what about the, uh, the sex stuff? Because that was probably the stickiest, right? I mean, you had uh, – how about your chemical romance with the, in the area of sexuality? That was, that was pretty tough to break, right? Still yeah. struggling, still fighting, stuff like that? Yeah, so, you know, drugs – and I mean, drugs for me was mainly, you know, smoking marijuana and, and taking LSD. Fortunately, I was spared from the more physically dependent, you know, or physically addictive drugs, um, you know, the opiates and all of that that have actual physical dependency. Right. Um, fortunately, I never got into that. Um, uh, I actually, my first stepmother was a, a cocaine addict and she mainlined and she's dead today. Um, and wow. that may have been part part of that reason why I didn't get into those kinds of drugs because I saw what it did to her. Um, right. But you know, smoking dope is okay, right? Even though it's illegal and all of that. So that's that's a joke. <laughs> it's um, legal here now, man. In December, yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah. pulled up legal in right. the state. Well, you know, whatever. Which is another yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I just move. I, I just move right along. Um, mm. But. Um, yeah, you know, pornography was always, it was always like a mainstay. You know, I had this kind of background noise in my life, and it was pornography and masturbation. That was just always there. I never thought about it. Yeah, um, me too. Until I, you know, until I got through saved, my chemical you know? stuff, I remember that too, man. It was, just, it was just always in the background. It was just another way to medicate, yeah. right? Right. I mean, it was just always there. I mean, you know, you take a shower, you know, you masturbate. Okay. You, uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, Going to, going to bed at night, I'm going to, you know, crack open a magazine or, 
you know, if nobody's at home, then I'm going to pop a video in. And this is before the days of the internet, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, this is like mail mail order VHS. Um, I'm dating myself, and uh, and right. you know, mail order VHS and magazines really were the the pornography that was around. Um, and that was just always around. But you know, I was first exposed to pornography when I was about eight years old, when my my dad had pornography around. And again, I mean, we weren't Christians. This wasn't a big deal to us, you know, or mm-hmm. to him. So you know, tell, telling the story about my dad isn't intending to throw him under the bus. Now that I am a Christian and we have a lot of Christian listeners, but um, you know, he decided it was time for me, his son, to learn about the birds and the bees. Um, and so he pulled open a magazine, flipped out the centerfold, and showed it to me, and started you know pointing, you know, this is what this is, and that's what that is, and this goes here, and that goes there, and that's how babies are made, son. You know that kind of thing, right? Right. Um, and I, I don't think that I heard very much, if anything, of what he said, because I was absolutely fixated on the pictures. The image, you know, right, and, and yeah. So, um, and that really started my... Dead, right? Yeah, I mean, that's part of my fascination with <laughs> pornography at a real early age, but, you know. Right. Um, and so, you know, I... I did really, I had a, a lot of anger at my dad for a long time for that. Now I look back and see, I mean, he didn't know any better, you know. Um, right. So I had to learn to forgive him um, in that. And, and it's been, and, and that's been a great thing for me to walk through um, and, and just learn to, to love him, you know, in his imperfection. As I know God loves me in my imperfection to this day, and my wife will tell you that I'm absolutely imperfect. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, again, like, it's just kind of background noise. That was always there. And I would have definitely been that guy before getting saved that would have told you, I mean, there's nothing wrong with pornography. I mean, what's wrong? What's wrong with it? You know, I'm not hurting anybody. Um, you know, these women, have, have, they got paid to take those pictures and all the yada, 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 yada. I mean, you hear it all the time. Right. But uh, it's, uh, you know, my perspective has changed over over time. And part part of that is, you know, my walk with Christ, and part of that is is the knowledge that I have gained in working with other guys who are addicted to pornography and and sex, and seeing the insider view of the industry itself from uh, some other ministries like uh, you know the Pink Cross and, and ministries that talk about the inside of the sex industry. It's it's a wretched place, and people yeah, like, it think it's all nice and roses and you know, intimate and, and what, I mean, it's not, it's really, really not fun for these, for these girls. The only people it's fun for are the guys behind the camera making all the dough. Right. Um, that's right. And, uh, you know, that's the only people that, that uh, are really getting anything good, if, if you want to call that good, out of that industry. Yeah, it's a dark industry, you know, anybody that, you just do a little research on it. It's not like going to the office, you know. Sex is something that's not like sharing pizza. It's not like shaking hands. It's not just something, some behavior we can do and not have some kind of an impact on our our heart and soul. No, it's it's a bonding agent. You know, every time, yeah, we give away a part of ourselves every time, every time. That's right. So you, um, you've done a lot in the, in the recovery end, and I wanted to talk about some of that. Um, PurityReport.com. Talk about that for, for a little bit, John. I, I really like Purity Report. It's been around for a while. Um, I know Triple X Church has a lot of uh, forums and stuff like that, but Purity Report is something different, yeah. and uh, it, it, I, I really enjoy your, your website there, I, being involved in the forums yeah. and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, after, uh, if I can tell a little bit more of the story that leads up to the Purity Report, um, you know, after I got saved, I I went to Bible school and uh, went to Christ for the Nations, was there for two and a half years, went, graduated from their two-year program, went to their school of missions. You know, I was that proverbial guy thinking that God was going to send me to a hut in Africa, right, on the mission field. So I went to their school of missions, and he had different plans for me. I came back to Georgia, started serving as a youth pastor. Um, part-time, because I was still working full-time in, in uh, IT, which I do to this day, um, but started working in, a, in, a, in the church I got saved in as a youth pastor, 
Um, and then I got isolated, and I got a DSL connection, and I started struggling with pornography all over again. But let me tell you, Internet pornography was different than the VHS and the magazines, like I said before, because at the click of a button, I could get exactly the kind of pornography I wanted to look at tailored. You know, they call Internet pornography the crack cocaine of porn uh, right. for a reason. Because, I mean, whatever kind of tickles your fancy, so to speak, I mean, you can get the exact, you know, pornography exactly tailored to what you want, um, you know, flooded into the privacy of your of your home at high speed. Um, and so, you know, man, I was wrecked at that point. It, I was so, I, I was just so ashamed and so, I felt so guilty uh, because, I mean, I'm a Bible school graduate. I, I mean, I shouldn't struggle with this stuff. I know the Bible backwards and forwards now. Uh, right. But, I, man, I couldn't stop. I could not stop using pornography. I'm like, this is the last time. I'll never do it again. And, you know, guys, you know, hold me accountable. And, and man, none of that ever worked. And um, I started dating a girl, and um, her and I eventually got married um, a few years later in 2002. Uh, we got married in June 2002. Come October that same year, we're, we're in a counselor's office. Because right. our marriage wow. is not working. Marriage is not working. Uh, honey, we had no honeymoon period. I mean, we had a honeymoon, and even at the honeymoon, it was like there was something that I mean, I wasn't able to be intimate, really, like emotionally intimate, because uh, right. it was all about sex in a lot of ways. Not completely 100 percent, but more more than her liking for sure. Right. Um, and so. You know, we landed in the counselor's office, and that was the first time the counselor looked me square in the eye that first appointment and said, you know, you're addicted to pornography, um, and, you know, you're a sex addict. And I had never considered sex addiction or porn addiction or the, even the term addiction before that time. You know, and I said that was 2002. I mean, I'd been a Christian at that point in time for, you know, what, six years, and uh you know, that just hit me square between the eyes. And I eventually I got into a group, started dealing with the stuff in a group. Um, and uh, after being in that group for two or three years, I started leading that group and really wanted there to be a place online that I could take advantage of myself. Right. And so in 2005, uh, I launched a website, and that's now uh, purityreport.com. And... Um, you know, it's just grown since then. Uh, we've kept it online, and we've grown, and we've shifted things and, you know, changed the focus a little bit here. But the, the main thrust is an online forum for uh, folks who are struggling with sexual sin to find healing, you know, to be able to go and talk in a safe environment, a well-moderated online environment where they can go and talk about things and right. uh, with other people who struggle. I'm yeah. sitting in front of it now, and it's kind of cool what you said about, you know, how how you had to wake up to realize that your pornography owned you, and you didn't own your pornography, right? And getting to the yeah. point where you're joining groups and starting the Purity Report. Right here on the website, the first, uh, the first two lines are get real, get honest, get free. The goal is simple, to walk in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Because the sin is like a mold that grows in the dark. Right. I've I've quoted so, you many times with that line. I love that. It's just so true. Yeah. So when what year what, did you start Purity Report? It was something before you had a different name, right? I can't remember. I, yeah, I you should be called higher higher calling because I, I didn't know what to call yeah. the thing. So it's called higher calling and it's higher dash calling dot com, and we still own right. that domain. But it, now we rebranded a few years back to um, the Purity Report to kind of uh, you know um, sharpen the focus a little bit on to um, accountability and. So we have kind of what I like to call a script for confession, and that's what the Purity Report is. Um, because, right. you know, walking in the light and accountability is primarily characterized by confession. Um, you know, and that's just talking about what is going on, um, particularly with my sexuality and, and uh, you know, pornography and the temptations and triggers and all of the things that are involved with an addiction. 
And so we have kind of a script for confession, and then we have some guidelines for accountability friends because you know, accountability has kind of gone wacky in the church, yeah. I think, you know, where it's got this connotation that, you know, that, that's where I go and I meet at the Waffle House down here in the South, right, the Waffle House. I meet at a Waffle House with this, you know, old, crusty old guy from the church who grills me for an hour. And then, you know, and then I'm not going to use pornography anymore. And that's, you know, that's just not, that's not accountability. Um, I like the, you know, uh, I like the analogy <laughs> of the behind the counter, the behind the counter analogy. I think, I forget who it was, Charles Stanley or something was talking about that. But he said that every, every person is kind of like a small business. And when you come to meet somebody, you know, most people we have outside the counter, right? Like they come in, they, they talk to us, they do business with us, you know, we talk to them, and then they leave out the front door. But there's that select few people that you look behind the counter. And that's kind of what Purity Report is in the blogosphere that I like about it. You know, you're letting people behind the counter in your life. When you, when, you know, anything talking about sexuality is, is kind of a behind-the-counter type of issue. Like, you don't just yeah, right. start confessing stuff to just any old person about your sexuality. And, and you're not going to be real open and honest with someone who you don't think is safe, you know. I mean, sure, the yeah. surly pastor at the Waffle House may have some wisdom, but at the same time, does he struggle like you? Does he know the, the, the things that you've been through, like the other folks in group who do struggle as well and are all going towards the same goal? You know, so there's there's that. It's it's that behind the counter kind of uh, kind of metaphor that you, you're really letting people behind the scenes in your life. And a lot for a lot of people, for me, when I first started talking about this stuff in group, it was the first time I'd, I'd shared anything with that with anyone. You know, right behind the counter. <laughs> I didn't let anybody behind my counter, man. Yeah, you, we get a lot of folks because the ministry is primarily online. I mean, we get a lot of guys fresh from the fresh from the fire. You know, this is the first time they've ever talked to anybody about anything. They're not even willing to meet face to face with with anybody or even consider going to a group. So they log into this little, you know, obscure website, and they're like, "Yeah, I got a problem." Uh, right. And and you know we 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 take that you know um, I'm I'm uh, you know a lot into twelve step recovery and and you know I learn a lot about willingness I mean you have to be willing right. and uh, you know we take you take somebody where they're at if he's willing to log onto a website and talk then you know that's what he's willing to do and you know God will use our willingness to help draw us closer to Himself and and help us to become more and more and more willing to, you know, say to him, you know, your will be done, right? Because at the end of the day, there are two kinds of people, those who look to God and say, God, your will be done, and those to whom God looks to and says, no, your will be done. Right. Um, and, and so, I mean, that's, that's what it's going to look like at the end of history, you know, whose will is going to be done? Is it God's or is it yours? And uh, that's, that's right. the choice we, we need to make every day, his will or our will. Um, and, uh, you know, every time we make a choice, it's a spiritual it's it's a, it's a spiritual decision. You know, the will is the essence of uh, of our spirituality. You know, every time we make a choice, it's the most spiritual act we do. Um, That's right. Deciding, so point making of worship. a choice. You know? Worship isn't just the music at church, is it, John? No, man. It's I mean, and even that. I mean, that's an expression of the will. You know, I am that's willing. Right to, you know, sing a song to God about God. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the will that's being engaged in, in worship, you know. And so, yeah, that's, right. it's, that's, that's what the spiritual, spirituality is all about, the will. And that's one of the things I really like about some of the step recoveries. They really highlight that idea of willingness and helping to deepen your willingness and that, you know, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And that's, that's deep, man. That's, that's as deep as it gets. So... Yeah, it's kind of like a marriage, you know. You you get married. I heard I heard one guy say that if you think you're really that great, you should probably get married. <laughs> you're really <laughs> where you're at, you know. Because when you, when you get married, then two souls come together, two sinful human beings come together with their own wills, right, and uh, grind against each other, and 
it's a tough thing being married. It's a lot of work. And that's another thing that you have. Um, a partner for the Purity Report is Partners of For Purity, which is another yeah. great website. Um, I've had a lot of listeners email me over the years, literally hundreds of emails I've got over the years since I started ASI back in, in 05. And a lot of women who have contacted me are are struggling with a husband or boyfriend or someone they love that that is struggling with this issue, and and you've created uh, you've created a, a place for them as well online. Yeah, about you know within the first year of having the site for strugglers, I knew for one thing I'd been involved in another forum that had like spouses and strugglers on the same site, and it was like you know gasoline and fire. You know, I mean, it was like uh, it, it just wasn't that it wasn't safe. It's not like you, you know. I wanted it to be like an online recovery group. If you walk into a recovery group, it's a safe, well moderated environment, and those kinds of things are aren't allowed because it's not safe. You know. Um, right. So, but within the first year, we had women same just like you. We had women coming to us that would register on the website and would would say, you know, hey, my husband is struggling. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. This is not the website for you. And we kept having to turn these women away, you know, and it broke my heart. And so uh, I teamed up. You mentioned Triple uh, X Church. Um, they have a staffer. Her name is Michelle, who helped us. We launched a website uh, called Partners for Purity that's just for spouses, and it is just for women only. I mean, PurityReport.com, it's not a men's ministry. We have men and women on the site, but we right. have men's only sections. We have women's only sections. We have students only sections, and we have a pastor's only section. Um, on the, on the purity report, but yeah, we started up partnersforpurity.com, and uh, you know that's been a real blessing, man. I, I I'll never forget one of our moderators, the woman who was there and was talking, and she eventually became one of the moderators on Partners for Purity. Um, she told me that if it weren't for that website, you know, she wouldn't be married today. Wow. And uh, man, I can't tell you. I mean, that one story is worth everything. Uh, you know, one marriage being saved um, because of that website is enough. I mean, I could shut it down tomorrow and be happy, you know. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, but, I mean, we, you know, you just hear those stories. I mean, the stories of people who are talking about things that they've never talked about before, and they, they get some help, they get validated, they get a little bit of wisdom, they get some prayer and some encouragement, and, and they, they, you know, persevere. And and God uses it, you know. Again, He just increases their willingness to step in and create some boundaries with their with their husband, or you know, or or to own their part. You know, I mean, that's that's a big thing. You know, a, a wife whose husband's struggling with porn, it's not 100% on him. I mean, even if it's 99% on him, she needs to own her 1% as if it were 100. I mean, that's right. that's what we all need to do. We all have to look at the plank in our own eye. You know, we aren't to judge each other like, you know, honey, let me get this speck, you know, of pornography out of your eye. And Jesus tells us, you know, no, you need to consider the plank in your own eye. And that might be controlling. That might be, you know, there are all kinds of things, you know, and I'm, you know, don't want to get on any kind of a soapbox or, or whatever, but. I mean, we all have our own stuff we have to work on um, in life, that's right. and uh, that's what marriage is about. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, says that marriage isn't to make us happy, it's to make us holy, and that's for both sides of the marriage, you know, both spouses. So. That's right. It's kind of like a, like a sculpture of the soul that, that God does, you know, as we, as we work and rub against each other and, you know, kind of... Yeah. We well, you know, Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire told a lie. <laughs> That's right. You, you complete me. You complete me. Yeah. Uh, that is. I mean, that sounds oh so ooey gooey. And you know what? The the girl Jennifer in uh, Love Story. She told a lie too, because she said that uh, love means never having to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a lie. <laughs> that's right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's a lie. She, it is. She, she doesn't complete you. And you do have to say you're sorry. So there you go. <laughs> a lot. Hollywood, right. Hollywood will lie to you. <laughs> yeah, some of these uh, short-term uh, little stories in culture. Um, this is uh, one thing that you, that you talk about too is that the 
Partners for Purity and the Purity Report, you know, are cool online places to go, and they're powerful in, in that regard. But you also talk about the face. This is no, you know, replacement yeah. for face-to-face, eye-to-eye no, kind of absolutely. working stuff out, right? Yeah, we do our best to try and kick people offline. Uh, right. And again, you know, it's that willingness thing. Again, you know, we talk to guys and we're like, hey, have you talked to anybody? You know, have you seen a counselor? And hopefully guys start to become willing to talk to somebody else. They become willing to get into a group or become willing to talk to their pastor or a friend or somebody else. And, you know, we have uh, partner guidelines that help, uh, make it, help make it safe, you know, because it's not real complicated. Accountability doesn't have to be complicated. It's real simple. Um, and so we give some guidelines for accountability partners. So we have this kind of scripture confession, a guy, you know, this pop-up form comes up, they fill out this thing, you know, a few questions about what their day was like or what their week was like. They post it on the forum, then they click another button, another pop-up comes up, they put in an email address and fire it off to their accountability friends. And then, you know, those people they talk to, they say, hey, here's some guidelines. I'm going to start sending you some emails if if you're okay with it. And here's some guidelines about kind of what this whole thing is about. And the guidelines say, you know, things like, okay, same gender. I don't need to be sending my accountability reports to, you know, some chick. Um, and, uh, you know, then the guy that I'm sending it to, he, the guidelines are like, okay, no advice. What? Yeah, no advice. You know, you don't need right. to give any advice. You're not, you're not, it's not your job to fix this guy. It's your job to be a safe person for him to talk to about That's what's right. going on in his life. So that he can draw closer to God and, and you know drain the shame, you know, because if he keeps it in the dark, the enemy just beats us around the head and shoulders with shame. That's and right. so you know we we get to drain the shame when we talk to the when we talk about it, and realize you know this guy's not like you know running away, uh, you know, in screaming terror because I've done these things. I mean he's like, oh man, you must struggle with some of that a little bit too, and uh, and you're like, wow. And it opens up a whole new spiritual dimension through our willingness to talk to people. Um, and God, you know, takes that space and he uses it to change us from the inside out. Um, so it's not about behavior modification even. It's, it's about letting God change our hearts because, you know, in Philippians it says that, uh, you know, it's God who works in us both to will and to act according to his good purpose. You know, he gives us the willingness. He changes us to act the way he wants us to act. I mean, we don't have to do it outside in. He does it inside out. And so, you know, no advice. Um, you're not trying to fix your friend. You know, pray for him. Put yourself in his shoes and think about what it would be like for you if you weren't able to quit. If, right. if you, you know, if, you're, if your marriage were falling apart because you were addicted to pornography, you know, so trying to stir up compassion, you know. And also we go over some scriptures about confession. Um, and just, uh, it's, it's, you know, accountability is, you know, 90% confession and 10% listening. Or maybe, you know, there's that 1% of time where, where a guy really needs some input. But, you know, that's the rare case, really. Most of the time it's just listening and yeah, reflecting. You know, and so it's like accountability 101 is just listen. Accountability 201 is, you know, ask some good questions you know, that will help them deepen their confession. Now, what you said there, you said, you know, you, well, you used pornography. When did that happen? Or, you know, so, well, I mean, what, what do you think triggered that? You know, what, and just asking good questions that help deepen their reflection on the, what's going on in their lives, that's accountability 201. And then 301, I think, is engaging your own story. You know, like, yeah, you know, I struggle with some of that too, and this is some things that I've done that, have been really helpful to me, and I'm not trying to advise you to do them, but, you know, there are options, you know. Right. And, uh, and, and it just, you know, we're not junior counselors, you know. We're not pastors or therapists. We're just guys coming together to, you know, link arms and seek Christ. And, uh, be the body, and, yeah, it's being the yeah, body of exactly. Christ more than, there's a metaphor in the Bible, I believe it's uh, what, uh, for Romans 9 or 12 and, you know, First Corinthians 12, or, you know, the, the body of Christ and how we all come together and we make up, you know, this metaphor that we kind of make up his body. And, and having that kind mm-hmm. of deep level accountability is, you know, letting another person.
person in, another believer in, who has the same kind of right uh, understanding of, of the fact that we can't save ourselves, that every other idol out there is not a sufficient savior, and that only Christ can do it. And it's, it's like you were saying, that when we can talk about that real and honestly and really share about what's, what's, what's working in our lives, I mean, there's a lot of power in that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and God does it. I mean, he does the work, you know, and, uh, spiritual act of worship. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really is the one who does all the heavy lifting. Yeah. So, you know, Um, which is great. great (laughs) Me too, dude. That's why I'm here, man. Tell you what. Gateway to, to Freedom Workshops. Um, you uh, yeah. are involved with those those guys as well, right? Yeah. Over the years, I've developed a relationship with Jonathan Doherty at Be Broken Ministries. Um, uh-huh. And Jonathan is just awesome. But he, a few years ago, created these workshops called Gateway to Freedom. They're weekend intensive. Um, and they are intense. They involve, um, over the weekend from a Friday through Sunday, you have eight hours of teaching and over 10 hours of group therapy. And when I say therapy, it's like a licensed counselor that leads these groups. And you, know, you have an hour of teaching and then an hour and a half of group time and then like a five or 10 minute break and then wash, rinse, repeat eight times over the weekend. It's intense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's really an amazing catalyst to recovery um, for guys that come to the weekend and his feedback, you know, time after time after time from guys that go to these workshops is really, uh, really great. But you mentioned being involved. Um, Jonathan is based out of San Antonio, and so his workshops have primarily been in San Antonio, and he also has a relationship with some folks in Pennsylvania where he does the workshop. But uh, this year, we are bringing the Gateway to Freedom workshops to the southeast, to the Atlanta area, and uh, I'm the southeast regional coordinator for the Gateway to Freedom workshops. It sounds so official. But what that means is, you know, I'm the guy doing the teaching, and uh, we got some counselors that come and do the groups. So, you know, I get to you know, talk with the guys that come and share my story and share some things that have been helpful to me and share some teaching uh, over those, you know, those hour teaching sessions, and then we break out. And so I'm super excited to be involved with that. We've got the dates um, nailed down. You can go to gatewaymen.com and check out the dates and the venue. Um, And uh, it's in North Georgia. It's going to be a great place. Um, So we've got it scheduled for September and November of this year, and then it's going to be quarterly. Uh, moving on uh, into 2014, and so it's it's exciting. And and you know, one of the real quick, one of the other things that's really neat about how Jonathan is structuring it is that you know it really is regional. The Gateway to Freedom workshop in Atlanta is a fixture of the region. I mean, we don't go and parachute in to a hotel, do our thing, and then leave. You know, this is a resource to those of us in the Atlanta area and the Southeast. Um, you know, to counselors, to churches, to ministries dealing with with this issue i mean send your guys to the workshop you know we're we're going to be here we're here every quarter um and then we've got other gateway to freedom workshops um in you know two in texas one in pennsylvania and another that's spinning up in port in portland uh oregon as well this year so you know and they're just they're they're fixtures so it's it's uh it's really neat how they're going to stay in that area and we've got you know people who live in that area and are you know, plug into that area of the country that are leading these workshops. So it's really neat. Yeah, these workshops, um, I heard a, a guy, a very experienced, long-time uh, Christian counselor who was talking about workshops like yours. We do one at our church called Redemption Groups, and we have a weekend yep. intensive as well. Um, there's there's other ones. Every Man's Battle is another one that that uh, mm-hmm. a kind of expensive one, but they but they, they yeah, do right. some some really good work as well. But I, I heard a, again, I heard a, a a very experienced Christian counselor say that these intensives, these intensive weekends, he says they do more for a person in one weekend than than he said. I could do in six months worth of counseling. And that's pretty right. powerful. I mean, that's part of the price of going <laughs> right there is, is the fact that, you know, you're getting a lot done. It's not that you see a guy for, you know, a session a week 
and then you you know sometimes it takes an hour to just start to 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 bust the the shell off a person and then oh well sorry your session's ended in these intensive right. you're 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 it's it's called an intensive for a reason isn't it yeah it really is and you know we don't we don't at all sell this thing as like come to this weekend and you'll never struggle again that's right. that's a load you know, this yeah, is a catalyst for recovery. It's, it's a catalyst. You know, this is to take from wherever you are to where, you know, whatever the next place is in your recovery. You know, uh, you know guys hit walls or guys are just starting. It's, it's just a catalyst to recovery um, to, you know, bring us to the place where, you know, God's will is our will. And, uh, you know, and that's really what it is. It's a catalyst, you know, where we move to the next place in our lives and our recovery and our integrity and our purity. So yeah, it's exciting. We, we talk about in, in redemption groups is that it's, it's, it's not designed to fix you. <laughs> it's yeah. designed to kind right. of be like a cold splash of water to the face. It's a, it's a wake up mm-hmm. call and it's, it's really getting inside and, and examining yourself from a, a point that you, that most people never have. Um, a lot of people, look at Christianity as a way to fix themselves. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like Mike said at the end of the redemption book, he said, you know, if we look at, if we look at our relationship with God like that, then we're just using God to to fix us. There's no long-term relationship love pattern. Like God loves us enough to let us struggle for a while, doesn't he, John? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, he uses our pain. I mean, he uses our pain to, you know, to, like you said, get our attention. Um, You know, and, I I mean, if you want to read about that, read The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. I mean, he he really gets into it. It's a short book, but it's it's kind of a tough read. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, pain is God's megaphone, you know, to us, where he he does, he gets our attention. and, th- and then he uses it. That's the thing. I mean, once he has our attention, he heals us. And then he uses our pain uh, to help us connect with others who are in pain. I mean, that's 2 Corinthians uh, 1, where it says, you know, praise be to the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our suffering. Right? So, right. you know, we bring our suffering to him. He comforts us. And then it says, so that we can, uh, we can comfort others with the same comfort we've received from God. Um, you know, he comforts us for our own good and for the good of others. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what God does. I mean, that's, you mentioned redemption. I mean, that's redemption is letting my suffering being used to help somebody else who's suffering. That's uh, right. That's redemption. You know, it's and not the fact just that we healing. get to not see some sick. of that ripple effect is awesome too, right? We do. You know, we do get to see some of that. And, you know, I think that really once we, uh, once we get to see the, the, span of time from the perspective of eternity, we'll be amazed at probably some of the biggest impact we have we never, we never knew. We never knew we had. That's right. Um, you know, the biggest impact I may have may be somebody who listens to your podcast that I will never meet, never know about, never hear about, and, and, uh, but one day in eternity, I'll hear about it. And that's awesome. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. It's like I bet you Job didn't know he'd make the Bible, you know? <laughs> if you ever read yeah, the book of Job, right. Job goes through a lot of suffering, but he has no idea why. And and here, yeah. you know, several thousand years later, we're we're reading his story, and it's helping us, you know? It's that kind of, yeah, that kind of ripple effect. Um, John, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Uh, PartnersForPurity.com, the Purity Report for those who struggle, partners for purity, for those who love someone who struggles. And yep. uh, all of this, all the links are on the website, asi247.org. Um, again, thanks for being on the show, John, man. I appreciate it more than you know. Um, any final thoughts before we uh, log out here? Oh, man, final thoughts? Uh, oh, here's one. So just this morning I was reading in the gospel. And you know, it struck me, I never thought this before, I'll leave you with this. Every conversation between someone and God recorded in the Bible is prayer. Like, I never thought about that as the disciples in the Gospels are talking to Jesus. I mean, what's prayer? Prayer is just like talking and having a conversation with God. And yeah. like, 
every conversation recorded in the Gospels where Jesus responds to them and they ask him questions and stuff, that's like, that's prayer. You know, right. <laughs> it's a form of prayer. But he was in the flesh. But now, yeah. you know, now he, he's, he's like, you know, he's in heaven. But I don't know, it just kind of struck me just this morning. So you asked me, so there, there you go. That it kind of brings a whole new dimension of what it means to pray and talk to God. That just like the disciples talked to Jesus when he was here on the earth, we get to talk, we can talk to him like that, just like that, just like they that's did, right. yeah. and uh, you know have that conversational relationship. And uh, and that's big. But you know, leaving anybody, you know, everybody needs to know that God loves them. He loves yeah. you like crazy, and he loves you whether you're the prodigal son or you're the elder brother. If you don't know what that is, go to Luke 15 and you'll see. He loves you in either spot. He loves you, and he wants you to come in, join the party, join in his joy. And, uh, you know, just let him bless you and love you and, and uh, you know, be good, you know. So. Yeah, you know, it's – I used to view God as, as kind of a jerky uncle that I didn't really know. But I thought it was a jerk because I didn't know him, huh. you know. So I had yeah, this, right. that kind of relationship with God in the beginning and addicted to drugs and had some – jacked up stuff happened in my past that I didn't sign up for. How many times I've said that in recovery, John, I tell you what, I didn't sign up for my life, you know, tears streaming down my face and just angry, you know, but I got to the point where I started to realize who God was, you know, and and that he suffered too. Like the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. I mean, there is a ripple effect. There is things that are going on that we don't know the whole story of. Again, you know, touching on the book of Job, we we just don't know. And and I heard a guy talking about that. Like, what if if you found out that your jerky uncle was, was really wanted to meet with you? And and for me, as a kid, I'd have been like, you know, I got something to do. <laughs> you know, there's got to be some place I can go. Um, you know, I'm gonna go visit my friend. I heard he's coming over, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and avoid him. But then, what if you found out? And this is what maybe John and I are challenging you with as the listener. What if you found out that that jerky uncle, when you were when you were a baby, he gave some kind of like like stem cells, or he gave some kind of kidney or spinal fluid or something like that, that saved your life, that, that kept you alive, yeah. that you would have been either dead or, or very extremely disabled had it not been for what he gave. Mm. Would that wow. change the way you think about your so-called jerky uncle? And and I and I, I challenge you guys with that. I, I want you guys to to realize that you know maybe like John said, open up the Gospels and read about this man, right? God who who, who entered time and space, put on flesh, and walked among us. Like that's how much He loves us. He's not yeah. He's not outside of our suffering. He's He's right there with us. So uh, again, uh, John, thanks for being on the podcast and. Until next time. Right on. Later on.